0: Hey guys, and welcome to the first episode of the Double Dan's podcast. I'm Dan Steers from Double Dan Horsemanship, and joining me in the studio is co-host Kim Hagen. G'day, Kim. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Steers. How you going, mate? I'm going fabulous. We're in, like you said earlier, when we are talking off the mic in the COVID-19 lockdown situation.
1: Firmly measured out at two metres interval.
0: So there we are. We're in it, and we're doing our very first podcast. For those that don't know Kim Hagen, what can you tell us about yourself, buddy?
1: I'm a vet from Tamworth, married with a family of three lunatic boys, teenagers, or almost for one of them. Grew up in Sydney, a bit like you, without a horse background as such, but always had a love for them and bought my own horse when I was 15 and went on from there and brought up with you guys in a clinic in, I think it was 2010. Onwards it spirals from there into shows with you guys and here we are sitting at the COVID-19 podcast desk.
0: Yes, so for those that don't know Kim Hagen, Kim Hagen has been doing shows with both Dan and I now for many years, travelled the world really. We've done most of Australia, New Zealand and also the States. For those, again, who aren't aware, but if you've seen our show, you might have seen the doll riding the horse and we call him Steve in the show. Well, More than a doll. I know, I just didn't know how to quite word him. Kim does the voice for Steve the doll and he is a bit of a fan favourite. Oh, Steve's a legend. Everybody does love him. He can sometimes get a bit rude and crude, but other than that, uh, I quite enjoy my time in the arena with
1: Steve. He did disturb one of the customs ladies when they asked me to open the bag when he was traveling over to America with me. They were a little bit disturbed. Did they wonder what sort of fetishes that you had? (laughs) Pretty much. It got a bit tense there for a little while. Let's just say that.
0: (laughs) There you go. I would have thought he would have flown with his own ticket and business class.
1: That's where you let him down. If if Double Down was when she would
0: have a a bigger budget, we would put Steve in business class and Kim Hagen in cattle class.
1: most business he got was a bloody foot that wedged him into the bag. He
0: would have had a couple
1: of bottles of rum duty-free travelling with him. Yeah, he was looking after me.
0: Well, all right, mate. What we might do is we'll get Dan James on the phone. And we'll start this podcast with the three of us. How exciting is this? This is number one. We're international already. Episode number one in COVID-19 lockdown. Bring it on. Here we are. Kim, we've got Dan James on the line. Are you there, Dan? Yeah, mate. I'm here, boys.
1: The wonders of technology. Welcome
0: along, mate. This is our first ever podcast, and I'm in charge of running the ship, so to speak. The what? Running the ship. Oh, right. (laughs) Sorry, Kim. I'll pronounce my P's better. There's a lot of pressure right now. Imagine if we're doing this whole thing and I haven't hit record.
2: <laughs> Rookie errors. I know, I'm so nervous. I was talking about a similar thing today when the very first time that I had somebody get in a helicopter to fly up and I did the videoing at Liberinga the day, and I was telling the story that the Adam that was doing it got all excited and hit record twice, which cancelled it out. So after $555 an hour in the helicopter and the guy recording, we got literally like a second and a half so hopefully it's not
0: costing you $550 an hour my time is precious but not that precious well anyway I thought we'd start with a little bit of a catch up all three of us have been in lockdown now for a few weeks what have you been doing over there James
2: Well, mate, thinking that we probably should have been in a different business. You reckon it's
0: not the best we should have been maybe in medical supplies?
2: (laughs) I wish I'd have been that guy that thought about making the surgical mask.
1: Or just a share in a supermarket or a bottle shop, it'd do me.
2: Or the inventor of dunny paper.
0: Yeah, if we could be producing any of that stuff. Or the thief of dunny paper, that'd do me too. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking on the phone the other day about the Tiger King. We're on lockdown. You told me to watch it. I binge watched it. I watched it in about two and a half or three days. What do you think? Oh, they're just regular Americans, aren't they? Have you seen it too? Yeah. It is the best. How good is it? And exactly what I said, like, Pierre watched a bit of it with me and I just kept saying, only in America. Yeah.
2: The guy you got to feel the sorriest for, who would be a multi-billionaire right now, is the producer who lost all of his footage in the fire because he didn't back it oh, up anywhere else. fire. I oh, know, I almost cried for him. Yeah. Yeah, well,
0: he had backed it up, but he backed it up all in the same <laughs> That's shed. Joe Exotic's place. He didn't know anything about the cloud. You know, he could have put it in the cloud or somewhere else. I don't even know where the cloud is, but he could have had it stored there. How would you have known you couldn't trust Joe Exotic? <laughs> so you're trying to say that Joe set fire to his own shed? Oh God, got yeah. you. With the alligators in there? Absolutely. He shot his tigers, so. Boys, that was Carol. That was Carol. That's what I thought. Carol, and they had the antenna on the roof. Certainly, he did shoot his own tigers. I'm not a gadgets guy,
1: but I was sure that was a listening device. <laughs> what about <laughs> the, be that genius? The
0: flash one was it Don? What was his name? Teenage Mut- Ninja yeah, Turtle. Know, that's what I was thinking. I'm not that guy. Dr. Teller, the guy that came riding in on an elephant. Oh, yeah. I got to admit, like, I feel like
2: there's some stuff we could learn from him. <laughs> you were in the multiple wives? <laughs> I wasn't going for the multiple wives. It's a headache. He did manage to be able to have very long. Term employee that stuck with him for a long time. I'm just saying that. Yes, they were very loyal, but all
0: I could see, he had them hooked on drugs. <laughs> Well, he didn't have the drugs one, was he? I thought you were talking about Joe. No, Joe had the boyfriends hooked on the drugs. That's how he got him. There was people whinging, they're saying, ladies saying, I can't find a man, and, and this guy got three straight guys. <laughs> he got three straight guys to marry him yeah, and two at the one time. So he definitely has some sort of pull there, I guess. But no, no, I was oh, talking about the dog. come doc. on. <laughs> keeping a PG for the first one. So get out of that, Kim, right now. I'll just let you keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the guy with the three wives. He was a special character. Now, what did he do when his tigers grew a bit old? Do you believe that he put them in the inferno, incinerated them?
2: I think that is a strong possibility. That's what the
0: FBI would now be investigating.
1: That must have been when I had my nanny nap during see, the day but see, yesterday. Let's see
0: how much more clever he is. He didn't bury the bodies so they could be dug up.
1: You've got a tiger farm. You don't need to bury bodies.
0: <laughs> no, the tigers' bodies. Oh, no, I know. Still- do you think the tigers would eat each other? Oh. or later. What did Carol say? You just had to put some sardine oil on there. (laughs) I bet you right now, Carol's digging a hole. She's going to rip
2: up the septic tank and make sure that there's nothing under that because the FBI is coming. That is the truth. Kind of hope that old mate is kind of alive and somewhere just sitting back laughing on millions of dollars.
0: Yeah, but he—how did he get the millions of dollars when she certainly got the money? Unless you reckon he had even more money, secret money.
2: I hope he did. That's all That's I'm That's the only saying. thing.
0: I think if the money had gone, if he had started siphoning out the money earlier and doing things like that, then I would believe you. Yeah. Where did they reckon he went?
2: South America. I 100% think Carol killed him, but I was just saying I hope that he was just in the event that he had survived.
0: So if nothing else with this COVID-19 situation, what it has done is it's made the Tiger King very famous. Ridiculously so.
2: I think Joe... Uh, I want to say Joe Dirt because it reminds me of that show that we had. Joe Dirt movie, yeah. Yeah. I think it was certainly
0: based on him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he got 20% of the vote for the governor. No, of-
0: he nearly became the governor. <laughs> outrageous. Only in America. 20%. I know. He was close. Didn't he get up to 30? I thought he was 30%. He was right up there. He was knocking on the door of becoming the governor, which is just crazy.
2: you got to consider it that he would have been kind of worth voting for as governor
0: be somebody you would, you would vote for him.
1: And he would have shaken the electoral system up a little.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, fair enough. The other little thing that's, I guess, come about through the COVID-19 situation is the toilet paper challenge. Now, I got the jump on you first with this, James, and you said you were going to challenge me and I didn't know you were going to do that. So I went out there and it took me a little bit. I'm not going to lie to the listeners out there. If you have seen the video, we'll put it up again on our... Facebook, but I'm chasing a bison, right, with three regular, I just want to mention the regular-sized bullet paper, so not the American-sized ones, which have a wider base, which makes them a little bit more sturdier. And I'm galloping around chasing a bison. There was multiple takes to get that right. You just come up the next day trumping it by Roman riding with five jumbo rolls. And when I asked you, I said, oh, how, how many takes did that take you? And you go, oh, no, that was, that was it. You saw the whole lot. I was extremely disappointed. A little bit of me died
2: inside. What have you got to say for yourself, James? Mate, I kind of still think that you should go back and do it Roman riding. I would send you the jumbo rolls. I would, like, take some of our inventory that we have stockpiled up over here and send you the jumbo roll to see you do it while you're Roman riding.
0: You always used to say that when I was Roman riding, I looked like
1: I was sitting on a toilet. That was the accusation you made of me when I first got on your horses, James, because you said you look like you're ready to sit on the toilet.
0: I don't even have any Roman riding horses at the moment here at all with 007 being out.
2: Knowing that, that's why I said that because, like, I think this would be, like, an epic challenge.
0: Oh, so now I've got to train a pair too. Yeah, epic, Yes. Yeah. So, all right, I think by the time I get it achieved, everyone will be going, toilet paper challenge what?
1: Uh, we the ghosts of the Sydney Royal. You'll well, be right.
0: We're going to talk about that in a future episode, but moving on from the toilet paper challenge since... Apparently, I just got left in the dirt there.
2: Back it up here a second. I genuinely think that like smaller roles, the pace that you were traveling at, the wind resistance that you were being challenged with, mate, I thought you did a hell of a good job and I thought it was very inventful because I was like, man, how do we do this toilet challenge role and think of many different ways that we can do it? So I was pretty proud of what you came up with and, and I was trying to. Get it to where we could have gone back and forth. But hats off to you, do a great job.
0: Didn't actually hear you say that you think it was more difficult than yours. No, he didn't. He didn't use those words at all. I feel like it was. No,
2: I don't. <laughs> Here's where I think that what I tried to do was challenging. Is that I tried to do it to where that I was stayed on the horse and kept having the rolls thrown at me. And I realized the difficulty in that was like going from because I had to stay standing up to catch the rolls because trying to get up with all those rolls in your hand, that actually was the most difficult part, not the actual standing and holding them.
1: That was the complicating factor for mine. I think the catching of the rolls while standing and doing Liberty Roaming riding, I'm sorry it out, did you steers? If you'd caught a couple, it would yeah, have taken you okay. to the next echelon, but unfortunately
0: I still think if we challenge each other, I will win. I think if we had Dan's horses here and I went on his horses and gave that a go versus you two got on a cow, horse, and chase bison around, I think I would be more successful first. Well,
1: see, if you cut out a bison, now that would have got you extra points, that you just chase the bison. And you
2: know the other thing is, so I think if you had to put the taunt rolls on the bison's horns. The yeah. bison that doesn't have horns. Now you're talking. Everybody
0: said that. I've got to make horns on the now. You have threaded it on his tail. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is going great. Yeah, let's just pick on Dan Steers Day. That's fine. Yep, I can't just uh, chase a bison around flat. Nobody else has actually attempted that, but it's all right. Moving on. I have got something, very, I've got something very serious asked, Dan. Dan, before you left Australia here and, and headed back to the States this year, you told me that you were considering doing a diet when you got home. I want to know... The fittest amongst a lot of us. Did you do the vegan diet? Yeah. Did you? Are you still on the vegan diet? Depending on who you ask, but yeah. I didn't expect that. Before we got him on here, we should have voted because I was going to say... Possibly you gave it a go, but it didn't last very long.
2: I have definitely been giving it a red hot go. For how long? Two weeks, months.
0: Since then. It's been home for a few months. What did you say, two weeks or a month?
2: I would say it's definitely pushing closer to six weeks.
0: Wow. And so do you feel better for being on it?
2: And have you lost weight? No, I've not lost weight. Don't feel that much better for being off it. The only thing that I have done through the whole deal is like, one of the other parts of it is I quit drinking coffee in the morning That was a bitch.
0: Why did you do that? Did you have to? Oh, because you can't have milk in it, can you?
2: You're not meant to have milk. So I tried the whole almond milk thing with it. That tasted terrible. So I went right off the coffee. I had no idea how bad caffeine withdrawals are. It was terrible.
1: Is it as bad as vegan?
2: It's worse. How do you
1: live in Kentucky and not eat meat?
2: Well, it's a great question. I don't really know that I know the answer to it because none of it's very fun. This isn't like I was trying to be hippie and and woke up one morning. I thought I would try it because of all the different things that I'd seen and heard and see if I could manage without me. I've maybe had a couple of cheat days here and there.
1: Like with what a whole side of (laughs) pork ribs marinated in,
0: (laughs) sticky Texan sauce. You're not selling it at all. You're saying you don't feel any better, you haven't lost any weight, so then why are you still doing it? Certainly wouldn't be feeling better.
2: I'm trying to give it a fair shot. Like before, I, I go, think six no,
1: weeks is a fair trot. I think my trial would be three days.
2: <laughs> Why don't I put a challenge out while you guys are on quarantine? Why don't I challenge you to a week?
1: No, not even interesting. A week of vegan? Yeah, a week of vegan. I cook for my family. I'm not cooking two meals. I'll give you the tip. <laughs> I've got my mum here. We've had every
0: night all this week. I think we've had pasta with me. I think that's so- a solid no from uh, the Australian-based yeah. correspondents. <laughs> Let's move on. So Dan James is sort of a vegan. I think we can write down there. The other part I was going to talk about, since this is the first episode and we've introduced Kim into the podcast here, Dan, do you remember the first meeting, Kim?
2: Mate, I have relived the moment many times, and I've played the video of the interview and the song and the whole nine yards multiple times. So absolutely.
0: Just so we can get our listeners on board, we met Kim at uh, clinic Wagga. in Wagga Wagga. Kim's saying 2010. I don't think it was 10. I think it was like 12. Could have been 12. When did you take your horses over, James, to go to the States? 12. 12, yes. It was 12. Because Yeah. It
1: was just before you were going James over James wasn't
0: supposed to be there. The flights or something got delayed. And so he was there just because we're still on the road. 2012, that's where we first met Kim. And I guess to say that we hit it off would probably be an understatement, really, because it was like uh, houses on fire. It was a good weekend.
2: I feel like it was earlier than
0: 12. The reason why I remember it is because, remember, Pia was at that clinic and show as well, and she was Roman riding on your horses. And remember, she jumped around backwards, Liberty Roman riding, and she did like, she stacked it, and she did like the reverse bloody scorpion, and I thought she broke it back. That's why I remember because I was just like, it traumatized me. She was in a lot of pain and on the ground. And the reason why she was doing it was it was one of the last opportunities to be Liberty Roman riding with your horses because they're about to go to the States. So that's, that's the only reason I know the timeline. And 2010, we only just had been in the East Coast for 12 months and it wasn't that early. So I'm going with 12. I'm going to lock it in. And we'll be able to tell because we uploaded that video. I'm going to go with 11. Splitting the difference. All right, well, so Kim I'm says 10, you 11. say 11. I'm going to say 12. And it wasn't at the end. It was actually, like I said, before March because it was before Road to the Horse. I'm going to say late January maybe because we also went down. Remember we had Biffin with us, Thunder Down Under? Oh, the beautiful man. He was definitely there. You know why I also remember that? Is my old truck had the hay rack on the roof, which my new truck does too, but it was my old truck. We used to put the hay bales from the ground. We would shimmy them up by rope and thunder down under. I big do remember big Alex Biffin says, Why don't you just throw them up there? Big square bales of the heavy square bales of Lucent. We're like, All right, go on then. So he starts tossing them from the ground to on the roof of the truck and I'm catching them. Like he might have done four or five and then one didn't make it all the way up. So that's when like Donald was there. He's like, oh, there you go. So then he did it again and he threw it over the truck. It went over my head wow. and on the other side. That's when we knew how seriously strong. And for those again listening, Alex Biffin, you would be able to check him out on Facebook, I'm sure, Instagram, all the socials. We might try to get a photo of him up, but he is almost like a, I don't know, what would you call him? Some Greek god? He's
2: like a Greek god that fell from the sky.
0: So that's another reason why I can say that it was a little bit later and we had Donald there on the road with us as well. That's there meeting Kim. He come by with his guitar and he sang some songs at the campfire we had rocking at the truck there. And then, like you said, we did a video of Kim singing that exact song. What do you call that song, Kim? Why does my horse, Shy. Based on
1: American Pie, I think most of our listeners would have heard it sooner or later.
0: We'll share that video as well. And from there, I mean, Kim's not only done lots of training, I guess, with myself through clinics, he's even helped me in clinics, but he's done a bunch of shows with both of us and he's almost become, I mean, it just doesn't really work double Dan and Kim. So we've left him out of the brand, but, but other than that, he's been, a big, he's been a big part of the show for a while, don't you reckon, James?
2: Oh, mate, undoubtedly some of our finest moments.
0: Thanks, mate. I can just see him tearing up a little bit there. It's wow, a little, going little a bit, misty <laughs> over here. He's going a bit red in the face. It's
2: a vegan coming out of me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> One of the highlights I was actually looking forward to was when we went to the States, was the last time I was allowed in the States to go to Road to the Horse when Dan James competed and Kim Hagen was coming over with us. And I was so looking forward to enjoying America culture with Kim and taking him to all the fast food places that I just like hang out for. It was an experience, so, wasn't it? I took him to Cracker Barrel, which is one of the finest. And Dan James is a fan. Before you go, Cracker Barrel bashing on me, He's
1: vegan. Have you been to
0: Cracker Barrel since you're vegan?
1: Well, he's also not allowed out of the house. No. Well, exactly. There you go. He's cleansing Do stairs.
2: they do
0: delivery? They probably do delivery there, do they? <laughs>
2: yeah, there are an incredible amount. One of the greatest things, and not trying to get sidetracked here, is that all the Mexican restaurants over here have I been given Mexican. permission by most of the governors in each state that they can still do take away margaritas from the restaurant.
0: Yes. I oh, love it. So that's what I was looking forward to anyway, taking Kim over there, and he did nothing but whinge from the start to the finish of that trip. And honestly... Only about the food. Only about the food, but that was the part I was most
1: excited the about. the people in the places were fantastic. The food was dubious. But this guy...
0: Then he travels in the car with me to go to some of their shows and I've never had anybody, and we've had some doozies, including myself, eat fast food on the road, as you know. I've never met anybody worse than Kim for just eating crap on the road, bags of lollies. He'll have a two litre of Coke to himself. They're essential. It's a bit like having Brandon Brent. Oh, Brandon was bad. Having two meals of (laughs) macas, he just cracked us up, Brandon. That's off topic. But this guy, Kim Hagen, like I said, he eats as bad as anybody. So when we were taking him there to the States, I was like, we're going to go to all the favourites. I was going to start with Cracker Barrel. I never even took him to Waffle House. I never took him there. After going to Cracker Barrel, having him winch about Cracker Barrel, I can't take him to Waffle
1: House. I had the French toast and it was dreadful.
0: That's their specialty too. It's their number one breakfast dish. It's not.
1: They half introduced an egg to a piece of bread and then sprinkled
0: it with sugar. It was dreadful. Are you hearing this, James? (laughs) I think our sponsorship (laughs) with Cracker Barrel is is under duress. We won't be asking them for a show sponsorship because we have started the podcast and we are looking for sponsors out there and we will not be approaching What about Waffle House? I'm certainly a Waffle House fan. I've got plenty of photos of Waffle House. I'll tell you one story about me going to the States and Waffle House. So James might remember this. It was pretty early on and we came over for Equine Affair and we went to some after event. Remember meeting Greg from Cavello? Yeah, yeah. So we had a fair few drinks there, right? I was staying at a hotel. You are staying, I think, back in the gooseneck. So you guys dropped me off at the hotel and I was trying to get you to come in to the hotel because I was just revved up. It's like one o'clock or midnight, something about there. And I was revved up and the hotel bar was still open and you couldn't stay. So you went back to the gooseneck. I went and had a few drinks at the bar and they stopped doing food. They said, oh, there's last drinks, no food. So I was getting hungry. And across from the parking lot of the hotel was a service station and a waffle house. So I thought, brilliant. And Waffle House is 24 hours. So I shot across to Waffle House. I'm in there and and I'm like half cut and there's a few other late night people in there. And, you know, when you walk into any place in America, if they hear your Australian accent, they just go nuts. So I'm having good banter we're having a bit of a chuckle. And then you hear a couple of gunfire shots from outside. No joke. You've hit the floor, haven't you? No, well, I didn't quite know what it was. And it was the guy behind the... For those who don't know too, when you're in Waffle House, they're cooking right there behind the serving counter. They're cooking. So it was the guy cooking was like, those gunshots. So he went outside to investigate and then all of a sudden, it wouldn't have taken long, but there was cops like coming galore. The shop was on lockdown and that guy didn't come back. We were all like, um. So he left your waffles in a state of duress. No, I'd been served. I'd been served. I was eating. I was chatting to him. And anyway, we waited for a while. He came back in, but he was getting interviewed by the police. There was a shootout in the car park while we were in Waffle House, while we were at the equine affair. It was in Ohio. I don't know. So so
2: inconvenient.
0: Well, I felt like it was in a movie. I loved it. I wasn't scared (laughs) at all. I was like, (laughs) Yeah, somebody was was bleeding to
1: death. That that didn't bother you. I don't even know if actually someone got shot. There was just shots fired, at least. So they have somebody in custody? You didn't go out. I wasn't that
0: brave. (laughs) We stayed in the shop and he did his sort of police report, I guess, and then uh, said it was all fine and then we left. But just remember too, my memory's probably a bit foggy. Not only was it a fair few years ago, but I was pretty cut. I was pretty wasted, but it was a bit of fun. Somebody slammed
1: a fridge closed (laughs) is what it comes down to. Two fridges closed and you've hit the ground, screaming,
0: crying. Somebody dropped something out of the yeah. back and then these guys thought, oh, you know what we should do? We should just <laughs> wind this Australian up. And I don't know how the cops turned up there, but anyway, they might have just turned up because they're all a part of it. But good story nonetheless. So getting into the serious stuff, because I don't think we've talked at all about horses yet. No. This being the first episode, we're going to do over the next few episodes, I want to do a bit of a recap over Double Down Horsemanship, some of the biggest shows that we've done, and a bit of a timeline. So to start with, I was going to ask James, just in a short version Firstly, where did you get your passion for horses? And then how did you turn that into a career of both entertainment and horsemanship?
2: That did take like a left turn there from hearted. Mate, honestly, growing up as a kid, I always watched the horse movies and thought that was pretty cool what they did in the movies and always wanted to do some of the tricks and different things that they did. And I guess it goes like, you know, you look it up online or try to find somewhere where to become a movie horse trainer. There wasn't exactly any direct line to that. So you kind of find different avenues. And for a long time, I found myself in the jumping and the dressage and the eventing side of things, you know, stumbling my way through learning about horses. And I guess the long answer short is that I just wanted a career that did something with them, whether that was shoeing, riding them, breaking them, doing teeth. I wanted something to do with them.
0: Somehow from there you ended up at Liveringa Station right so that's for those that again don't know listening out there that's in the Kimberleys so that's Western Australia in the far north and he wasn't too far from the coast up there. You were born in Queensland what took you then from being in inventing horses being into more I guess pony club type equestrian sports to moving from Queensland to Liveringa? The
2: short of it is is that we had had reasonable success like that. Uh, low level eventing and stuff like that and, and shortly discovered that, you know, the money and that behind the horses and that sort of needed. And, you know, you had to be pretty lucky to find one that was super talented that could sort of take you, you know, a long way. Now, so I'm going to name drop a bit here, Chris Burton, who of course, has been a representative for Australia for the last couple of World Equestrian Games and Ray is one of the best eventers in the world. Came up through the ranks with him in Pony club and, of course, he beat beaten on most occasions in eventing. But I really enjoyed that side of it. But it's, you know, like most equestrian sports and disciplines, it's very tough, very expensive, and just didn't have the resources to really pursue it. Kind of got a bit burnt out between all the different horse jobs and different things that we're doing from breaking in and showing. Wanted always wanted to go up and see a different part of Australia and literally looked up an ad in the Queensland Country Life that they were looking for ringers and station help in Western Australia. Called them up, sent in a resume, and about a week later, had a job at delivering uh, the station.
0: Before that, let me get this right, you weren't a cowboy and then you went up there and became a cowboy. Is that right?
2: Well, I we always grew up with a very country or Western heritage. I mean, like mum and dad, although they didn't rodeo professionally or, you know, do any equestrian sport professionally, they were always sort of like, you know, I guess what we would consider bushies, as most of the family in that were. I guess being around that kind of culture, like, you rode potty carbs and steers and different things at little events. So you sort of always kind of had that ambition to be a cowboy. I think that I probably embraced it even before that I left to go to the Kimberleys, just coming from that bush orientation. But, you know, being up there in the Kimberleys, that brings out the ring, And then if it's ever going to.
1: So did you have to vest in jeans or did you just turn <laughs> up with, with your you, jodhpers? With,
2: <laughs> with the white jodhpers, no. I fortunately had plenty of jeans and boots in that long time before I went up to the Kimberleys. That would have been quite the culture shock.
1: You still rode the first day in Jodhpur's, I'll bet.
2: Oh, definitely, mate. You know, I just wanted to kind of... Put it out there that you're a professional. uh, You know, the first morning that they gave me my horse, I put on a skid lid and pulled up the Jodhpur's and the long boots and put on the dressage saddle and... And just basically kick the ears off just to kind 50 of to get their respect.
0: Did you put bandages on your mustering horse? Did you plait it? <laughs> yeah, a few white polo rat. So then, moving on a little bit from obviously now going into from your equestrian, now we're into being a cowboy. Where did the trick horse stuff come into it? Because I know Ari came from Liveringa, and of course, he was really your first performance horse. Where did you stumble upon
2: that? Again, mate, like I always, from the time I was a kid and had brains and that around, like always trying to get him to do something you know, the lay down as sure you can probably relate to at that time was definitely you think that if you can get one to lay down that you've kind of like achieved quite a milestone. I had that in mind before going to the Kimberleys and had a couple other horses that I'd taught a few different tricks and that certainly having the time up there at the station in the afternoons or whenever I could get my hands and that on the horses there to work gave me a bit of a, a leg up. Like no real official training, probably very much, you know, like your story that gets into working out, seeing somebody else do it and spending the time trying
0: to figure it out. Yeah, well, my story is a little bit different, I guess. So for me, and uh, Kim talked a little bit at at the start about his introduction to horses and and saying it was very similar to mine. I wasn't brought up with horses. I was brought up in the city of Perth. That's in the south of Western Australia, so in the same state as Liveringa. And I grew up, you know, sort of playing uh, team sports and surfing and skateboarding Skateboarding. and, and bits and pieces. Yeah, that's right. I was a bit of a rebel. Without a cause, so they say. I
2: believe there's still a bit of a shower in the ear from an earring, right? Oh, close. Dear. It wasn't it
0: wasn't in the ear. I did have <laughs> an eyebrow ring for a short amount of time. Going back to Tiger King, did you see how low his eyebrow ring is? Tony a... Hawk meets Joe <laughs> Exotic. I didn't have a mullet, a blonde mullet at least. Anyway, it wasn't that I got into a little bit of trouble and, and I got sent to my dad who was a, a copper at the time, and he actually was a policeman in Broome for most of my life, so I didn't have a whole lot to do with him being that we're pretty far away, but he got a job down south near Perth at Camp Mornington, which was a police and citizens youth club camp. My mum thought I needed a little bit of straightening out, so she sent me there. I actually saw her on the way in. She still stinks the same. <laughs> my mum loves me. So she sent me there and a part of being an adventure camp, it had all sorts of fun, exciting things to do. And, and one of them there was trail riding. And I just accidentally stumbled upon it one day with dad inviting me out for a ride and rode my first horse. I think I was about 14 and maybe a half. From there, I just got hooked for sure. By the time I was 15, I'd left school and was doing a farrier apprenticeship with Pete Weber. And that's probably where my passion started with Liberty horses and entertainment horses because Pete had some pretty good horses that he could ride. Saddleless and bridleless, and and I think that whole clinician thing. We used to every day watch a different clinician video. A lot of them back in those days was the John Lyons videos, and you'd see him. I don't know if you've ever seen those tapes, Dan, but he had an old stallion called Zip. The Appaloosa, right? The Appaloosa, yeah, yeah. Well, he could do some amazing stuff with him, and in those round pen demos, and and then had a bunch of tricks on him as well. And even just watching him, he would use him as what he called a snubbing horse, where he would work a young horse from his stallion, and he would ride him in the round pen without a bridle on, the horse would do all the cutting out work and get next to the young horse. And John would just use his lariat from his ridden horse. And he wouldn't rope the young horse. He just would use it and position it and, and use it not too dissimilar how Dan I would probably use a whip or a flag and get the horses to sort of join up with him and whatnot. And so I saw a lot of those videos when I was with Pete Weber, and that's what got my inspiration for, I guess, becoming a clinician and getting into the entertainment side of things. But for me, I sort of saw myself as more of a farrier. I did a farrier's apprenticeship and training horses was going to be, I guess, secondary to shoeing them. But certainly, and my wife can attest to this, it's certainly going the other way around where if you're lucky to see me shoe probably two or three horses a year now. Oh, the whinging, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's <laughs> plenty hard work. I used to shoe 10 horses a day and think I'd done a pretty big day and now I shoe three feet and think I've done a pretty big day. I'm like, well, should I do that fourth shoe or not? <laughs> That fourth shoe just seems to kill me. I don't know why horses don't have three legs. It would be that simple for the farriers. Two would be better. Two would be even better, you reckon? So that's my little bit of Yeah, just do the front two. That's my short version anyway of getting into the horses. But then it led me to, I guess, the next little question that I had is, I um, not that long ago did a podcast for 90 or nothing. There's a little shout out. And I talked a lot about how I got started and then obviously how Dan and I met. It's mostly my version. I'd like to hear James's version on how our bromance started.
2: Glad you brought that up because it was great hearing it on that other podcast from your perspective. For me, I was very much in awe of both you and Pierre going to that draft and seeing this clean up for the weekend. In retrospect of looking back on. When you described the meeting, I was all sorts of pumped to come up and meet you guys and form new friendships and get to come along and, and ride with you guys and remember very much walking up after, you'd, you know, been handed your 17th ribbon or something for the day and a big paycheck and I was standing there holding my reins and nothing else, came up and uh, introduced myself to you guys, said, hey, could I come and ride and learn some cow work and especially to do with this cam drafting stuff and I was super pumped. The first time that I got to come out and ride with you, I remember going out there to the place that you were managing at the time and uh, working old Arie out there on some cattle and, and getting some pointers on how to go drafting.
0: You're very flattering there. I don't think I've done quite as well as you said, but I'll definitely take that. I, I appreciate it. I remember you coming out to that old farm, Amarillo, where it was very close to the city, but it was quite a big property and we had lots of cattle and up here, and I were just sort of caretaking there. At the time that you came, I don't know if you remember, but Piers' dad, my father-in-law, he was actually there as well. And you rode Ari out. I didn't have a whole lot of, I guess, nice things to say about Ari and his camp drafting future. I think I was a little bit harsh on him (laughs) being not quite the right shape and probably find that part's going to let him down in being a successful camp drafter. I'm I'm being very diplomatic at the moment, but I don't think I was all that diplomatic at the time (laughs) because my father-in-law, who is just like a passionate Australian stock horse, person, you know, quite anti-quarter horse, and Ari's, of course, a quarter horse, he thought I was being it's hard on him. the epitome quarter horse. And he came back to me afterwards and said, I think you're a little bit hard on Dan and his horse. And I thought, geez, if Kent thought that, I must have been really bad. Poor old
1: fat sir. I was actually lucky enough
0: to ride <laughs> him in a draft
1: once. You're talking yeah. about yeah. Ari, yeah? Yeah, about Ari. And you get people kind of give you advice around the side of the camp. And a mate of mine was in doing the back gate. As the judge was watching the run before, he said, "You well, know, does he go all right?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, we'll go all right." And he said, "Well, we'll go for that gray thing up the front. And there's this whole Someone mob to of black cattle and one yak at the front." And I thought, "Oh well, I know he can cut pretty well, so we'll go up and we've scored our 23." And I'm no camp drafter, so I I'm pretty happy with the gate swung open and the the call of 23 went out, and this thing just went pale in the air and just went flat stick out. And I've opened up area as best I can. Top speed was. Nothing compared to this beast. Wasn't
0: he bucking all the way across <laughs> the pen?
1: That was a different one. Because I heard that story. <laughs> he came come out of the camp. As soon as he come out, again, same thing. I've asked for a bit more speed than he was willing to give. He objected to the request and started bucking. And he has bucked from the gate to the gate at the other side. And the announcer, Peter Eggleton, famous voice around the kind of Manila and Tamworth and even the Sydney Royal, as an announcer, he said, 23 for cutout. 23, Bob, buck out. <laughs> From a distance, I raised the arm and rode him out to the gate and eventually kind of pulled him up and said, up pal, I think we've embarrassed ourselves enough, we'll leave.
2: There's been plenty of people bucked off, Harry.
0: That's what I was about to say. I was going to say, he's bucked more people off than any of our horses combined. Wouldn't that be true? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. He bucked me off seven times one night at personal. Oh, I remember that. I was
0: using him, we're going to talk, I think, a fair bit in the next episode about El Cabello days, but I was riding him in the finale of one of the shows at El Cabello and I had him in one of the Roman riding pads and bridle and everything and I didn't feel anything, but I was all of a sudden in front of him holding the reins, walking. No joke, I must have done a forward somersault. He must have just dropped his head. An I landed on my feet, but it happened so quickly. And I just started waving to the crowd like nothing happened. And there was Trevor Beer, an old camp drafter from WA, was in the audience that day. And so after the show, he came up to me and he said, did that always buck you off? And I said, I think so. He said, I sort of didn't <laughs> quite see it either. But I'm like, well, I don't know how I got to my feet. So I assume that happened." So he <laughs> he can add me onto the hit list as well. But I guess you've ridden him, Kim. He's a bit older now and a bit slower, say. I think if he would have given you the full I think without talking
1: it up, I got him in his dotage, and that helped me stay in the saddle.
0: (laughs) We'll keep on talking about Ari, because I've written down a question here to talk to Dan about. So before, I guess we had met, but before we started working together, you were involved in quite a big show over there, The Spirit of the Horse. Can you tell us a little bit of how you got involved with that show?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of quite random that you bring all these things up because I brought back from your place on the last visit an old CD case and it had heaps of those old shows of yours and mine in it with our in double image and Perth Royal, Spirit of the Horse, quite a few of the ones that you and I worked together. I guess that first one, I kind of see that as probably being the pinnacle of the turn to where we are now because leading up to that show, Spirit of the Horse, I was actually meant to take a job working for Chris Cox. And I'd spoken to Chris on the phone and had it kind of all lined up, and that show came up, and I called Chris up and said, "Look, I said, you know, the show opportunity is to rise. I'd really like to stay on and do it." And, and Chris was great. He said, "You know, look, mate, best of luck. No worries. I've got a, somebody else that I need to give an answer to." So that's probably Rob Leach. Yeah, all the best. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. Yeah. Long story short, show spirit of the horse. We had what became some of our good friends to this day. Nikki Slunder came across. There was a crew from Riata Ranch, Cowboy Girls, um, and Tommy Turvey. They sent me a video of Tommy Turvey's riding instructor act and said, hey, we need a horse to be able to do this. I was just kind of dumbfounded at the time because Tommy flew in literally the night before the show and I was like, man, this guy's got to be good. You know, he's flying all the way from America and he's going to do this very complicated trick horse comedy act with a horse that he doesn't know. So we went about and got him trained. And I actually still remember, Sears, that at that point, You and I hadn't actually done a show together, but I remember you turning up to that spirit of the horse and coming along the sidelines and whistling and hollering in the last part of the act, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: I don't know if you remembered, but I had a horse accident and I was actually in the hospital. You'd offered me some tickets to the show and I was pretty keen and Pia was talking it down. like She was just like, oh, you know, just see how you feel. I'm like, no, no, I'm getting out, I'm going, I'm going. And it was the biggest thing in Perth, really. It was a huge show in one of the biggest venues, I guess, in the city. I'm going, I'm going, and I've got to let Dan James know. And what had happened is my mum actually bought tickets for my birthday and wanted to keep it at its price. So that's why Pierre was trying to play it on the down low. So, yeah, I got my tickets and I went to the show. And I'm I'm glad you brought it up about the old Tommy Turvey thing and the video because I first want to talk about that and then I want to talk a little bit about the show. Just to explain to Kim, so Danzin hadn't done a big performance or anything before. Ari was only two, I think, at the time. He might have turned three by the time that show. Yeah, I
2: think he was a three-year-old and merely was a two-year-old. Yeah, but when you would have got that
0: video, he probably was still a two-year-old or just a young three-year-old and got the video of the act in Liveringa, and, and again, Dan not being formally trained to do these tricks. This is, this is a part that I think is quite amazing. And a part of that routine is, and we'll have to put it up there for our listeners, it's, it was one of the most famous probably horse specialty acts of its time, the Riding Instructor Act, which on YouTube's had millions of views. We'll try to get a clip of that and put that up on our social media as well. And in that deal, Tommy rolls his horse onto its back and then plays a song and sings into his hoof and pretends it's a microphone. But Tommy manually rolls the horse onto his back. And from what I remember James telling me of the story, so he tried that a couple of times with Ari and I think even used a couple other ringers and rolled him over, which Ari didn't mind. Need a bobcat. But it was exactly, it was a bit too physical for little Dan James at the time. He was pretty light on when he was a ringer. Well, he wasn't on the vegan diet, was he? He wasn't properly prepped. (laughs) He just taught the horse and put a cue on him to roll on his back and do it automatically, which I'm just dumbfounded when somebody hasn't shown you that before. Like Dan's showing me and saying, I've taught horses to do it. I've shown you, you've taught horses to do it. It's not that hard when you've been shown, but to think of it from scratch, I think it would be particularly hard and being as remote as the Kimberleys and putting that whole act together. And then like Dan said, Tommy having trust in yeah. Dan, which I don't know if it was so much that is, Tommy just might not have cared. He was just coming to, to WA and just going to have fun for it to work, which it did work as we'll get back to the show. I mean, I saw the show and had seen Dan practice it as well. And, and he was coming down to Perth and he was practicing it and doing it and performing it at small rodeos and, and a few little shows. And, and like I've mentioned On the other podcast about him doing it, even at the camp draft that Dan and I met. So I'd seen him work with the horse. And I think it was just a huge credit to Dan and, and his training at that time to not only get it achieved, but then Tommy successfully doing it on the night. What's your feeling of it? Was it a big deal for you, James?
2: You know, mate, honestly, I didn't really have an expectation. Like looking back on it, you know, I think it's very complimentary of what you're saying. But at the time, you don't know what you don't know. And so you just kind of go along with it. You know, like I was more nervous about it not working out. And if I hadn't done a good enough job, and I was probably at the time more, I was amazed that somebody could fly across from the other side of the world and work somebody else's horse. So I never did honestly give it much of a thought about what we would gotten done. But now like looking back on it in retrospect, I know you and I have traveled to numerous different places and wherever you go to a different part in the world and you've got to use another group of horses, that makes you always a little bit like, oh, hope this is going to work out. I can't imagine what it would have been like Tommy coming across to do such a complex act, not knowing or not caring, either which way that you look at it, how that this is going to play out.
1: I've got a bit of a question for both of you guys. What is it that gets, you know, you're saying that Ari in that show, and that's obviously a pretty big show as a two or three-year-old horse, is going to be doing these kind of routines in front of big crowds. What do you guys see as the key thing to get a horse to that level of preparation? Is it selection of the horse? Is it repetition? Is it getting it out in front of smaller crowds first? Is it combination of all the above? Tell me.
0: Well, firstly, I guess selection nowadays would be a criteria, but back then, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, it was just whatever horses we had and they had to do it. Yeah. You know, certainly with Ari, he's got a great temperament, and no doubt that was a leg up. But then also he had all that station work, and so within all that station work is a fair bit of prep, exposure, and exposure. Exactly, and that's what I was actually going to get onto in a minute and ask Dan about what other shows Ari had done previous to the Spirit of the Horse. But before we get there, nowadays I guess we're in a position where we have a performance team, and introducing new horses is a little bit easier because you don't need to put as much pressure on them to be, say, so, you know, you wouldn't think that their first show is going to be with, you know, the whole big show atmosphere with, you know, 10,000 people and all the lights and all the sound. And we take them to clinics and do a few demos and sort of test the waters. And for us, El Cabello was a little bit like that, wasn't it, Dan? When we got horses started, El Cabello gave us a venue where we could start them where the horses were at home because it was their own training facility. But the only thing that you were doing was adding a little bit more atmosphere when it come to performances.
2: Yeah. Look again. I wish we knew what we knew then. Uh, I, I say it the other way around. Looking back on like those days of El Cabello for both of us, we had all the time in the world with very little responsibility, without families, without huge overheads. Huge overheads. We didn't have any overheads. <laughs> you know, you were sort of limited, unfortunately, at the time with just not knowing even what else to work on. If you could ever have that time back, I feel like things that, you know, in hindsight could have got done. But I still think that those days of the shows that we worked together, like not knowing really at the time, it was very much they were the days that helped develop us as entertainers, learning to interact, to speak to audiences, to, you know, work with horses. And learning probably more, one of the, I think, skills that we really developed through them was our horses, often weren't that good, and talking our way through it, which I feel like has been a huge success in what we've done with Liberty Horses going forward.
0: Ignorance is certainly bliss. So we didn't know that we didn't know, so to speak, and so we did think we were probably pretty good at the time. And, and exactly like Dan said, usually a normal show wouldn't go to plan. Which I think was the appeal for you guys, certainly in the early days of Equitana and things like that. We didn't realise that. We were just doing that because there's a all- all we could do and all we knew. And luckily for us, it worked out. And what we're speaking of there is being able to ad-lib and play off each other to the point that I guess the crowd sometimes doesn't even know whether the horses are in or out of control, so to speak. But to sort of get us back to the spirit of the horse, before I wrap that part up, Dan, I just want to know, and this is more a personal question, like I'm thinking back myself and and some of this stuff I don't know because I wasn't, well, I didn't know, I hadn't met Dan James then. Before that show, what other shows had you done like
2: similarity to Spirit of the Horse?
0: Anything. What was your very first time that you did a show
2: in front of a crowd in public? So I guess the thing that we did, and I'm trying to remember on the timeline here, Keithy Anderson up at Jubilee Station, they had seen me do something at the radio, the little local radio derby, had said, hey, could you fill 20 minutes at the radio up here? And I'm like, yeah, look, you know, I'll come in and, and do something anyway. That went really well. It was always amazing to me at that time, the people that kind of stand by you, get behind you and help you, and the ones that kind of goff at you. And I was amazed. In you know, hindsight, I was always a little bit scared of calling the angry aunt, Keith Anderson, and and like great guy, but apparently had a, you know, pretty good temper. And he and Karen and family, like, they just got like on the bandwagon. They're like, whatever we can do to help you, you know, we go down to Perth. Let's take the horse down there, get you in front of an audience and down in front of um, Perth Royal shows. So that was very much, you know, one of the first things that sort of did to it was Derby, a little rodeo there, and then to go down then to Perth Royal and make fun. It was just, it wasn't even a scheduled thing at Perth Royal the first year I was there. I literally just turned up and went out and, you know, did some stuff during the break. And then they're like, man, could you come back and do a bit more? I'm like, sure. And then that led to, doing it again and the, the producer then from Spirit of the Horse, John, then, you know, somehow tracked this down all the way to a station the following year and said, you know, would you come down and do that show? So outside of Perth Royal and, and Derby, there was really those two shows, nothing to the scale of what that, you know, nighttime show was like though.
0: Now you just led me to remember... The first time that I ever actually gave, and Pierre was the same, gave Roman riding a go was at Perth Royal. So it must have been the second time you were there and the time that was more deliberate. I guess you were scheduled in and you had Amelia and Ari Roman riding there. And I think, again, we'd had a few beers and you'd talk me into getting up on those two and giving Roman riding a go. And then Pierre did it. And, of course, she was way better at it than I was. She's always had much better balance than me. And and we were Roman riding in that warm-up arena before you were about to go out there and perform.
2: I remember that really well that day and I don't feel like that you fell in love with Roman riding much more than your first time doing it.
0: I was pretty petrified.
1: I've got a to little... say when you said Pia was a little bit more balanced than you. Yeah. I think it really
0: comes down to your heart. No, admittedly folks, cut me some slack. I did then go home and train horses to be Roman riding. So I did want to do it.
2: That's one of the things I totally agree with you there. Like for somebody that didn't like to do it, you put in a hell of a lot of effort to make it happen because And I did it it a lot. wasn't something that you really enjoyed. And my hat's always been off the on that because there's a lot of stuff that I would have tried that didn't enjoy, and I'm like, no, I'm just not going to do that. But you stuck with it, and you've seen it through. Thank you, buddy. I
0: appreciate that. See, hear that, Kimmy? He's very generous, he I think. He says some nice things about me, unlike you. Well. <laughs> Let's go back to a bit of a funny story that I've written down on my little run sheet here, Dan, going back to Liveringa days. Can you tell me the story behind your nickname.com?
2: we're we really jumping into that, like, in this episode. Absolutely. Because
0: we're covering a timeline. See, .com was really prior to even you and I meeting. Like, you never introduced yourself as .com. And when you came down to the south, I guess people didn't know who you were. So you sort of got away with it. But then any time that you would have one of your ringer mates around you, it was just .com or Dotty for sure. They'd call him Dotty. And then I have to ask the question about where that nickname and even some of your gear, used to must have didn't mind the name because you wrote .com on it. That's how you knew it was James's. It had .com written on it. So to our listeners, I think this, Probably this worth could be an a explanation story to just add into our first podcast. Couldn't be worse than what I'm thinking. Yeah, go for it. The line's are yours. <laughs> you better tell it, James, or I'll tell it.
2: I don't know which version will be better or worse for me. I feel like this is a danger story in itself. How do we put it? Like the station life, just to, to put it in a perspective, all the stations up in the area in Kimberley's where we were, they all basically started about a million acres. Not only did I work there during the peak season, I also stayed quite a number of years up there during the off-season or the wet season, which is a monsoonal, if you're not familiar with what that is. And I remember I had an email address, and I reckon in probably eight years I'd had three emails ever. So it wasn't something that I have got on. What year are we talking about? I was up at Liveringer from, I think, was it 2002 until 2008? So it was early on, so
0: you had this email. So it was back before people were really, not a lot of us, was getting about on the emails in 2002.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had this email like an old girlfriend created for me like back in probably 2005 or something. It was a Hotmail email address that I had at the rec club, there was only about four of us on the station at that time over the wet season doing casual jobs and it was a rainy day and I went down there and sitting at the computer and thought, oh, oh, just check my email. There was an email there that came through and I didn't realize what spam or anything else like that was in those days. And here's this email and it's called, you ever received an email from country match and uh, I get on there and they're like, well, here's all these girls that would like to chat with you online. And I'm like, Holy crap, Batman, <laughs> how did they find me all the way out here? I'm like, this is the most amazing thing that I've ever come across. Jackpot. Of course, immediately, yeah, jackpot. I get on there and start talking to several different girls, You know, most of which were in the US. One I kept chatting with for the following, what, eight or nine, 10 months, and it was approaching the following wet season. I said, well, screw it, I'm going to finish the season early, jump on a plane, never been over to America before, didn't know a single soul, and uh, come visit.
0: I'm going to cut in because all the ringers would say for that eight or nine months that basically Dan couldn't finish the day early enough to run to the what he called the, the rec centre, I guess, on the station and get on the internet so that he could start chatting to her. That's why he got the dot-com because he was just he was on that computer as much as he could be. Is that true?
2: Well, there is part of that that is true. In my defense, there was a very narrow window. If you look at, there was one thing to send an email. was another thing to, I think it was it MSM Messenger. That, that used to be on the old computers. And there was a very narrow window for the time zone difference of when that I could, you know, talk to anybody on there. And you got to remember there was, you know, 10, 15 other people during the peak time. And of course, everybody else wanted to use it as well.
0: Yeah, they couldn't get on because you were always on there is what I heard.
2: Well, they say that, but, you know, it was free or for whoever kind of got there first. There's certainly plenty of times where I was left waiting to use it as well, so. All
0: right, so carry on. You're going to go to the States and meet this girl. Go from there.
2: Do you want me to go beyond, like, just how the nickname came about?
0: Yeah, I want the whole story.
2: (laughs) Yeah, long story short, I'm like, all right, well, talk to you long enough on the computer. Let's see if something's there. So I booked myself a plane ticket. I came in from camp one night. I think I was over at Niramis Station where Steve and Daz were and booked myself a plane ticket, stuck the time off and jumped on the Big Bird and flew across. That's where it got very interesting.
0: This is a huge deal because we're talking about for these listeners to understand. So Dan's going to go to the States, so he's got to get a flight from Broome to Perth, and that's a few-hour flight. Then you went across from Perth to Sydney, and there's another few hours. And then you went from where,
2: Sydney to LA? Yeah, LA to Dallas, yeah. First time to Texas. This
0: is a big, big trip and a big investment. So let's just get the listeners to understand.
2: I literally rolled my swag and took my swag in one bag, and I bought a ticket for three months and didn't know it solved.
0: So you get to Sydney. This is what I heard. You're on the computer, and you're just going kind to of message her to let her know that you're nearly there. You're on your way. All right, so pick it up from there. Yeah,
2: that's true. Yeah, I get to Dallas, again, just kind of cutting some of the details out, but I get there to the airport, and her and her mum are there. And I thought, well, you know, that's fair enough. You know, she hasn't met me, strange fella from a different country. Makes a lot of sense. Her mum comes along to meet the fella.
0: Make sure he's safe.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, you guys know what it's like. Your first time when you get to America, I mean, oh, you yeah. step out of that airport, and, like, the cars, the traffic, yeah. the roads, Everything, holy crap, I just stepped out into a movie. We drove to a small country town in Texas an hour or so outside of Fort Worth, Dallas, turned down their street. and The very first thing I seen there was cops and got about half a dozen or a dozen Mexicans up against the wall (laughs) in a holdup and blue lights were going off.
1: Like a Waffle House.
2: And I'm like, holy crap, this is a freaking movie. I was pretty excited about it. Stepped out the car and my dad was there, big old Texan guy whose accent I could barely understand at all, he looks at me, turns and gets in his truck with his boat on and takes off.
0: Back up a little bit. At this stage, did they explain why the mum was at the airport? No. So you still don't know? Still don't know. Okay. All right. Carry on.
2: So I spend the next three weeks on their couch in their living room. Just to clarify here, when I made the decision to go across there, I was... 21 turning 22 or 22 turning 23. I can't quite remember. And she was supposedly 22. I'm there about a week. You know, of course, the timeline summer and everything is, you know, obviously different anyway. Long story short, she has to leave the next morning at 8 o'clock to go. And I'm like, what are you going to? And she says, like, off to college or something. I'm like, oh, okay, no worries. It's cool. I'll just hang out here by myself. <laughs> well, within about two days, I come to realise that she's going to high school and she's 17. Uh Uh-oh. So mum didn't say anything? No, mum hasn't said... Mum knew. Her mum was in because the one thing that kind of let me get a little worried about the whole situation was on the way home, they said, so we have told her dad that you guys met at the rodeo the year before at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo and that you were coming back over to rodeo. And I'm like, that's going to be a hard lie to live. (laughs) Yet everything that's being here for the first time is brand new, but okay, I'll go along with that.
1: Hopefully the rodeo wasn't on next week.
2: (laughs) Thankfully it wasn't. So anyway, yeah, I mean, as it starts to unfold, she ends up being 17, ends up having a boyfriend (laughs) there. I mean, it goes from that to where, and I end up actually getting along pretty good with the dad. So of course, he starts asking me to come along and have a beer and that with him at the pub. He knows
0: your real age.
2: Yeah, he knows how old I am. Absolutely. So yeah, we go along, have a few beers and at the pub and that. And then uh, one night, the drive home, probably neither of us should have been in the car, and he pulls it over and says, "Have you been sleeping with my wife?"
1: Yeah, it's better.
2: So you talked about a conversation, Killer. Like I literally thought in that moment that this is it. This is where I die on the side of a road. I get shot by somebody here in America and this is how it ends. Wow. And I very, very quickly retracted saying, no, I haven't slept with your wife. I haven't even as much touched your daughter, let alone kissed her or anything else. That was an interesting situation. And then he goes on to tell me that it was about 50% of the time it was his daughter and the other 50% of the time it was his wife that was on the computer chatting with me. Oh,
0: this is a twist that I didn't know about.
1: Wow. (laughs) I'm defending you here, .com. I reckon you have been, Dottie, you, you've been dead set victimised. This has cost you a fortune, physically, emotionally. <laughs> There's three or four, buddy.
0: Criminal charges here. Oh,
1: this is Texas taking advantage of little Western Australian country boy. Queenslander, gone to Western He's Australia right. and lost his way. You've been victimised, buddy.
2: Thanks, mate. I felt like that at the time. So there is a bit of a happy ending to this. One of their closest friends, I guess, must have had a bit of empathy for me. And I uh, said, look, I know some people up the road. How
1: close was this
2: friend? This uh, <laughs> friend was a couple of doors down. The friend said, I know some people up the road here. They've got some horses. Would you like to go and see if you can go and, you know, ride some horses? And I'm like, just whatever you can do <laughs> to get me out of this situation would be amazing.
1: The couch is getting smaller and more uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I go up the road and... The people that I end up meeting and forming a relationship and that with was Punk and Rita Carter, who like Punk was the NCHA president for quite a long time.
0: And the NCHA Hall of Fame I'm pretty sure.
2: Correct. Yeah. Him and his dad, John Carter and his brother Roy, all, you know, been in the Cowboy Hall of Fame in that as well. Very successful in the cutting horse industry with a huge amount of respect. And to be honest, at that point in time when I went to their place, I was totally removed even from that part of the industry. I had no idea who they were, quickly learned who they were and kind of how big a deal on that they were and got to spend the rest of my time in America at their place and I started on nothing.
1: Did he have a daughter?
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) Yes, they do. They've got three daughters who were all happily married. Wouldn't stop, They put me up and I (laughs) very much did. (laughs) They ended up having me there for the remaining of my time and still very close friends with them to this
0: day. And I've had the opportunity, to, and Pierre and myself, had the opportunity to stay at the Carters and the phenomenal people and to get those contacts. They could be Ted Bundy, fair Income. Yeah, but that's They've what I'm dragged saying. They him
1: out of the swell in the back of the Buddy Bond on a cyclonic day. They've
0: saved him. Could have been the last time we ever saw Dan James. It's lovely that they're good people. And it worked out. You that's would have what... stayed with Ted Bundy, fair Income. That's why I like the story so much because it is a funny story but it has a happy ending. End. an amazing story. But I think what should come out of this is we should bring back the nickname dotty and Dotcom. I think dot we should com. be
2: campaigning <laughs> this in social <laughs> I mean, media that was, world. That was a long time ago. Helps relieve the argument
0: of D1, D2. Yeah, exactly. Just Dotty. Dotty and then Dan. Dotty and Dan. Dotty and, and Dan. There you go. We could change the podcast. Sounds like a
1: giraffe and bloody elephant show.
0: <laughs> the Dotty, Dan and Kim show, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to ask, (laughs) do we have to wear skivvies? Before we wrap this show up, does Elizabeth know this story?
2: She loves this story. She embraces this story. She loves putting me awkwardly to happening to tell it. She waits till I've just had just enough drinks that I will unveil it. She does love having me tell that
0: story. I'm glad this isn't going to be one of those awkward moments where she listens to the podcast and <laughs> <laughs> be like... <laughs> where she finds out
2: about it on the podcast. Might be a few
0: in the coming episodes that she might not know the full stories about and it could incriminate you, but we'll try not to as best as we can. Subtle heads up from yeah, you. Well, well, also give our listeners something to sort of think about. They'll be like, well, we better get into those next few episodes if we might incriminate Dan James here. But, yeah, like I said, I tell that story a well, bit. Dottie and I have
1: been talking about you, actually, so stay tuned, listeners. Oh, here we go. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I know I've got a pretty clean sheet. Not what we made up. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: That's a good point. But I tell that story a little bit differently because mine, I reckon I've got it to the point that we could video it and make it a movie. I can visualise it <laughs> to that point that I'd be the director. And I know my version would be way more entertaining. My version has that in the truck of the dad's car, he's got, you know, the shotgun racks. It's an old pickup. It's got the shotgun racks on the back window. They're doing like 90 down the freeway. He hits him like he's mad and he hits him up to ask him if he's having sex with his wife. That under screeching brake, and no, nah, he's just cruising. Like Dan can't get out of the car. Yeah, he's like yeah, scratching he the door panel, not knowing where to go. Dad's just furious. Is he going to just like write this car off? And little tunnel under both? his seat. Is he going to use the shotgun in the back window? Like where is this going? And and then Dan has to come clean and rat out the story. But for me, I might do that one day in my spare time if this COVID nineteen goes on forever. I might create this little video montage of what actually really happened. Who would you have as an actor? Who would play Dan James? Someone not too tall. Oh,
2: Hugh Jackman, are you kidding oh, me? Too tall, he's
0: too tall, <laughs> got too much hair, too good looking, you're dreaming.
1: Danny DeVito's getting a little
0: <laughs> old. Danny, Danny DeVito, the younger Danny DeVito. <laughs> that
2: sounds better. Wait till we get to the stories of him.
0: Yeah, we'll have a few. If, if there's it, a young, I'm tightening up all correspondence. <laughs> If there's a young budding actor out there that sees themselves as a young Danny DeVito type, just email in at dan at <laughs> doubledan.com.au and just let me know. I might be casting shortly. Yeah. But anyway, guys, I think that's a bit of a wrap on our first episode. I don't think it went too bad. What do you guys reckon? You guys were a bye. Oh, mate,
2: putting it all together, I'm impressed. We've, it's been a long time coming and I'm glad that we've got to it. Are you pumped? Should we do
0: some more of these things?
2: Absolutely. You're right. All right. well
0: hopefully if you guys are listening out there share it all amongst your friends get it out there we want everybody to jump on board and listen to the Double Dan's podcast we've got a great show coming up our second show is going to follow on from our WA days and uh, also talk a little bit about our big move over east and that's really where the Double Dan part started so we're going to talk a little bit about that in our next show so until then boys take it easy thanks mate bye we'll talk soon see you guys